This is the Purpose Church Podcast. We exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. The song we were singing, uh, the last song, uh, is called, uh, the title of it's called The Blessing, if you're wanting to find it on Spotify. And it's probably the most simple chorus in all of Christendom. It just says amen over and over and over again. I wonder if we, if we know what the word amen means. The word amen means so be it. And I don't know about you, but like I, I've seen those old school movies. You know, I've seen Gladiator so many times I can quote it in my sleep and Braveheart and The Patriot and, you know, when movies were good. And there was this so be it attitude with them. And you see it with Jesus. You see the so be it, nevertheless what, you, nevertheless what I want, but what you want, so be it. And you hear it in this video. It's a so be it mindset, a so be it attitude. And Kelly said, what kind of people are we going to be? What kind of people are we deciding to be? And this, this drives everything else. It drives every conversation with your children. It drives every decision you make in your family. It drives even where you, you spend your money, it, where you spend your time. What kind of people are we going to be? And I was just sitting there thinking, and, and I got out my, my sermon notes, and I X'd out half of the first page and texted the booth and said, just follow me. Because I just kept thinking about, we're supposed to be amen people. We're supposed to be so be it people. Even if the 2008 economy crashes, we're so be it people. We're amen people. We're nevertheless people. Even though 2020 hits, we are so be it people. And what we saw in the last couple of years is that much of our faith was ritualistic. When 57% of American churchgoers quit going to church forever and have not returned. 57%. Our church in one day went from 350 to 70. And it makes you wonder, what are we doing? What are we actually doing with our time? What are we doing with our lives? And I think you and I need to ask ourselves that question Am I a so be it person? Am I an amen person? That this is what God said, so be it, that settles it. This is how I'm living my life. Or am I letting one thing after another move me and shake me left and right? We are to be amen people. So be it people. If the word says it, so be it. If God instructs it, so be it. If God created me a male or a female, so be it. 
If God tells me, just like they, they said in the video, if God, if God instructs me, test me in this, so be it. God has never let you down and he never, ever will. So be it. A few starting thoughts for our legacy, end of our blessed series and legacy Sunday. Number one, we are blessed to be a blessing. You are not blessed to hoard. By biblical definition, which by the way is the definition of all life and things and activity and behavior, by biblical definition, blessing is meant to be transferred not hoarded. And this is how we think about it. Blessing, the next point is blessing is inherently generational. It's inherently generational. In other words, a blessed life is a life that leaves a legacy. A blessed life is a life that leaves a legacy. Now, I know a lot of people that I would call blessed and they're not rich. But I know a lot of rich people that I can't call blessed. Blessing is not correlated to the amount of stuff you have or the amount of money in your accounts or the amount, the strength of your portfolio. Blessing is about what your last name transfers. Blessing is inherently generational. And when we think three generations ahead, we're thinking about legacy. We're thinking about what that looks like. And this causes us to evaluate everything, our motives, our desires, our thoughts, when we're thinking three generations ahead. When we're thinking like legacy people, we're thinking ahead. Here's the definition of legacy. It's what people remember when you're gone. And it's... it's, it's my favorite time of year, I love Christmas. I love Christmas. I'm just a Christmas guy. I always love Christmas. But my second favorite time of year starts in August when football starts. And I was thinking about our antennas are up with the word legacy, right? And I'm thinking about it. And from high school ball all the way through the NFL, you hear them say, every announcer, watch, watch a game today. You're going to hear somebody say the word legacy at least 10 times. Roger Staubach's legacy, Tom Landry's legacy. America is obsessed with political dynasties and legacies. We're, we're thinking through sports figures' legacies. And I just wonder if you and I could get a snapshot of how important that is because we celebrate the legacy of everything else. How much more power would there be in our families if we digested and embodied legacy for our last names? Blessing for our last names. I remember when I was in sixth grade, I remember one of the uh, assignments we had to do. And the teacher passed out a poster board, you know, back before school was on computers and we used our hands for things. And they passed out a poster board and we had to cut out a tombstone. Maybe you had to do this. 
And then uh, she had all of these gothic letters and we had to like glue our last name, glue our name on the top. And so I had Landon Kiker written in like old English gothic letters on the top. And then we had to write our own epitaph. And we had to write down what we wanted people to remember about us. A little heavy of an assignment for a sixth grader, but I remember it now. And honestly, side note has nothing to do with my sermon. If we would quit teaching children like they're soft, we might raise solid people later. Anyway. I remember that teacher telling us, now write, write, write something down that you want people to remember you by. And then at the end of class, she said, now... Are your current behaviors able to get you to what you wrote? This was in public school. It was a cultural character lesson. And I, I ne- I've never forgotten it. And the Bible backs this up. Look at Psalm 112. Those who are righteous will be remembered forever. Righteous simply means those who are in right standing with God. It doesn't mean perfect. It never has. Biblical definition, even the etymology of the word, it means in right relationship with God, which means you hear God and you obey God, which we know biblically is the definition of a disciple. So those who are disciples and not just churchgoers will be remembered for how long? Forever. Forever. They'll be remembered forever. So you got to ask the question, what do you want to be remembered for? Because there can be a day where your name is said for the very last time. There can be. But there's a way for that not to happen. Because those who leave a legacy are remembered forever. I can't tell you the names of my great-grandparents on my dad's side. I can tell you everything about the great-grandparents on my mom's side. And it's because of how they lived their lives and were their stories worth telling. Those who are righteous are remembered forever. And I, as a pastor, I've done a lot of funerals in and it's interesting, the dynamics of them all. And, and there, there are really two kinds of families when I end up doing a funeral. There's, there's one family where you get together with the family and they're like all just packing into the room. There's so many of them. And, and the meeting takes three, four, five hours. And I love hearing the stories that they're telling about this person. Whether I knew that person or not, they're telling so many stories. And then I'm trying to guide the conversation and say, look, we need the two best orators in the family to tell the two best stories. So y'all are going to have to funnel this thing down. And then they go home for a day or so and they come back and they give me the two best people, the two best stories. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing. And then there's the other side where there's one or two disgruntled children that are now adults that are having to find something that is remotely worth saying at a funeral where it's literally me and maybe six or seven people. 
And those are the saddest of all. When I'm standing at a pulpit at a funeral home here in town, and next to me is an open casket of someone that I don't know, and I'm having to talk to six angry people that are kind of glad they're gone. I wonder if that person could come back and say all the things they wish they had done differently, what they'd say. Because you and I have a choice of what kind of funeral we're going to have. And we've got a short time in this life. And yes, God wants us to enjoy it. Yes, God wants us to have fun. God invented joy. But greater than that is that you and I make an eternal difference with our lives. That's why you exist. And as a church, which is simply just a mobilized people group, we got to celebrate what has happened this year. God has been good this year, hasn't he? And so what we have put together for you is the legacy report. And so you can scan the code on the screen, and there's a, a beautiful document prepared for you that shows all the amazing things God has done with you this year. It's an amazing, amazing thing. I want you to just to celebrate. It's just a big party document. It's a party paper. So just scan it, look at it, celebrate what God's done because it is worth celebrating. What you'll find in this report is that as a church family, we think three around here, meaning we think, as, as Kelly said, said in the video, we think three generations down. Why? Because you were created on purpose for a purpose to affect the next generation on purpose. See, church does not exist for us. Like, Landon, what do you mean? Like, are you saying I don't belong here? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Church does not exist for us. Why? Because church is not a place. Church is a people. It's a gathering of disciples that affect the world for the Lord. So yeah, church does not exist for us. We are the church, and you and I exist for the world. And we exist for our children, and we exist for our coworkers. We exist to help other people become disciples of Christ that make disciples. That's why we exist. So no, you don't exist to just come sit in a lightly padded school chair to enjoy a service prepared for you. You don't exist for that. You exist to come here to be mobilized to find a family and an army to link arms with to go affect change in your world. See, we are heaven-focused and we're determined to live selfless lives so that our lives leave a legacy. That's what matters. Today, you're going to have an opportunity to bring your legacy offering. If you don't know what that is, um, Kelly explained it earlier, but we've been preparing for this for four weeks. And at the end of the message today, you're going to have an opportunity to bring what God has spoken to you to bring. And here's the thing. When you ask God what you're supposed to give, he never says nothing. God, when you ask God, when I ask God, like, what do you want me to do? He, he's never told me, ah, sit this one out, Landon. He's never said that. Because God is a God of action. And, and he's forward thinking. And so you have already brought that. Some of you have already given. A lot of you have already given your legacy offering online today or, or even earlier in the week. And so everybody's got this envelope. If you don't know where it is, you're sitting on it. It was on your chair. And on that offering envelope is a QR code. And this envelope is just for today. It says legacy at the top. And whether you gave online earlier this week or you're planning to give online today after the service or even on, in the service today, 
or you're giving through this envelope in these buckets, this is an altar paper, basically. So you're checking the right box that is appropriate to your method of giving, and here's what we're doing. We're bringing it to the altar. It's a symbolic representation that I am bringing my gift to God. I'm bringing my gift to the altar. You're going to have a chance to do that later on, so that's why you've got the envelope. It's an all play, and there's no... Um, church definition of that we have for the amount. It's simply participation. You talk to God and just do what he says. And, and I promise you, it will, it will change the way you think about church. It will change the way you think about your spiritual life. The offering today is going to benefit RACAP, as they said. And you're, you're going to really see uh, an impact uh, in that ministry. And, and, and they serve Live Oak to Cibolo, just that little section of San Antonio um, and they host their board meetings in our church office. Uh, one of our trustees, Richard, he's at their board meetings. He's our representative there with them. And we are very much involved in them. You guys already give them thousands of dollars a year, but they don't know it's coming, but we're really going to bless them big time next week. And it's going to be amazing how many more hundreds of extra families that are going to be loved by Jesus because of you and your offering today. And we're also going to be giving towards our building campaign because we believe that through our generosity, we'll get a building on that land as fast as we can. Kelly and I were driving to, to date night on Friday night. We were headed to New Braunfels and we drove right by the land because, you know, it gets dark at like 530. So it was like six o'clock and we, we were driving up I-35 and I saw that giant 50 foot wide billboard all lit up. And right now it's got a lawyer's advertisement on it. And I couldn't just, I, I could just visualize when there's bulldozers and land clearing machines and concrete trucks and utility stuff laying out there and, you know, the fences and like, and like the, you know, like the, the little mobile home they stick out there for the construction boss to sit in. All of that out on the land and then on the giant lit up billboard, it was like your, your church home is being built right now with an arrow pointed at the land. It's like I just could see it in my head, but that will happen as fast as we can, and we believe God is already moving in that direction. So we're going to get to the legacy offering here in just a minute, but as I, as I land the plane on this, I don't, have, I don't have a long message for you today. I just wanted to set the stage for you to do business with the Lord here in a minute. But God blesses us with more than we need so we can be a blessing. Look at number one, but we got to know what the mo is for. You got to know, is the more for you to be more comfortable or is the more for you to be Jesus to another? We got to know what the more is for. Look at Genesis 12. I will bless you and you will be a blessing to yourself, to others. You will be a blessing to others. Does that mean that God doesn't want you to use that raise you just got to upgrade something at your home or whatever. No, or if you're driving a jalopy and you're, you're scared to die on the highway, of course God does not want you to have a broken down car on I-35 ever. You figure those things out. But what is the goal of the blessing is the point. Why are you a blessed person? It's not so you can walk around and go, look at me. I'm blessed and highly favored and you're not. No, that's not what it's for. Is so you can be a blessing. Now, this goes back to our week two message about in our blessed series on finances. It's about giving 
and stewardship. Now, when God gives something to us, we are stewards of what he's given us. And this is all done in submission to the Lord. Why is he blessing me? There's always a reason. And we are praying for you that you do get that raise you've been praying for. Somebody say amen to that. That you've been, you're going to get that job you've been applying for. That you're going to get that thing you've been going after for a while. We're believing that that's going to happen in your life. But have a spiritual plan for what you will do with it when God does bless you. Have a plan for it. Because I don't know about you, but I've discovered that money has little wings. And it just disappears if it's not told where to go. And so make a plan for that. Second thing, so we got to know what the more is for. Second thing is when we bless others, God always takes care of us. Has anybody experienced that before? When we bless others, God always takes care of our needs. In other words, there's almost nothing God won't do for the person who decides to help other people. He's very active in taking care of you. He wants to take care. He wants to bless you. He is, he, he's like an excited parent on Christmas morning. He is ready to bless you. It, there's a verse in the Bible that says, if, if he takes care of the sparrow, if he takes care of a dirty little bird, how much more is he going to take care of his precious and most favorite creation? And I wonder if you and I could get this in our mind for a minute. Look at Luke 18. He says, I guarantee it. I think when the Bible says, I guarantee it, I'll believe, I believe it. It says, I guarantee this. Anyone who gives up anything for the kingdom of God will certainly receive many more times in this life and will receive eternal life in the world to come. So he's saying, I guarantee it. Just like the video said, test me in this. I guarantee it. If you give up your life for the Lord and you have a legacy mindset to bless the next generation and bless those around you, you will receive so much blessing in this life, you won't know what to do with it. And I will open up the windows of heaven over your family. It's a biblical promise, just as much as your salvation is a biblical promise when you cry out to the Lord. This is a biblical promise that you will receive many times more. God doesn't add, he multiplies. Many times more. I remember in uh, 2017, the church had just turned two, uh, two years old, and Kelly and I had a one-year-old, a three-year-old, and a five-year-old at home. Almost two, year, two four, and six. And we had a, a little home over on Judson and Nacogdoches, and it was our starter house, and then we put three kids in it, and it felt like a closet. So we had to get out of there. We had to get out of that little house. And we looked all over the place. And um, we found this house in Belmont Park and the neighborhood that's right here, right next to the school. 
And we looked at it and we're like, we really like this house. And we told our realtor and he was like, I don't, I don't know about that. It's a government owned foreclosure. Trust me, you don't want to deal with that. And we're like, okay. We looked around some more, looked at four or five other houses. We hated them. We're like, can we go back to that other house? And he's like, okay. So he sent his assistant to take us. He didn't want to come. Sent his assistant with us. We looked at it and left, and we looked at it a third time. And we called him back and said, we want to go for the house. And we found out there were six other people going for the house at the same time. All of their deals fell through. And it was a, a VA-owned foreclosure, so it's owned by the government. They didn't have a representing realtor. We bought the entire home without anybody ever speaking to our realtor. It was all done through email. Super weird. And he said, if you want to go through hell, we'll go for the house. And I said, well, we've already planted a church. How much harder could going for this house be? All right, so we, we went for the house, and we got it. And I remember just laughing because we hired some movers, and, and we, we went cheap. I wouldn't refer you to them because I love you, but we went cheap. They show up in a busted up panel truck with holes in the side, literally have plywood drilled into the side to cover the holes of the truck. They show up in like tank tops, smoking. I was like, oh God. Anyway, they got everything in the truck, took them two loads. We come pulling in to Belmont Park in that nasty panel truck. These guys jump out and our neighbor's like, well, there goes the neighborhood. It's like, that's the end of Belmont Park. Here's the point of this. When, when you bless others, God takes care of your needs. We didn't know that God wanted us in this neighborhood. Some of you are here because we've been hanging out of the pool with you for six years. Some of you are here because your kid's been playing with my kid for the last couple of years in the street. We had no idea that God wanted us in this neighborhood because he knew one day we'd be in this cafeteria buying land a mile away. He knew what we needed, gave us what we needed, but there was also a future approach to what he gave. It wasn't just to give us something we could be happy in. It was to affect even greater change later. And there have been hundreds of people that have been in that home and received prayer. And we've hosted hundreds, if not thousands of dinners and meals and and prayer meetings and God knows what you need and he'll use it for someone else's needs God saw six years down the road so don't be afraid to bless others because God is already working it out for your future home, job, whatever it is number three the more God blesses us the more he expects of us the more God blesses us, the more he expects us to bless other people. Luke 12, 48, much is required from those to whom much has been given. Their responsibility is greater. And I learned this recently and it reinforced truth in my heart and it taught me so much. In Jewish tradition, a Jewish dad, when he gives his inheritance to his kids, no matter how many kids there are, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 
The firstborn gets 50%. The other ones have to divvy up the other 50. As a firstborn child, I like this rule. But some of y'all are like, that's not fair, which is what Americans always say. That's not fair. Seems unfair. But how does God see this? Look at Deuteronomy 21. It says, he must acknowledge the son as the firstborn by giving him a double share of all that he has. The son is the first sign of his father's strength. The right of the firstborn belongs to him. He was given double so that if and when the father dies, the responsibility and the strength of the father is now on the shoulders of the firstborn. Hebrews 12. Lennon, what is this? I'm not Jewish and I'm not the firstborn. So where are you going with this? Hebrews 12. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. God considers the church, which we've already established today, is who? You. God considers the church the firstborn. Not so that we can be better than anyone, but that you and I are representatives of the Father's strength in our families, in our workplaces. We are the ones who hold the responsibility of the strength of the Father in our world today. We're the firstborn. We're supposed to be the Father's strength for those that are weak, for those that God loves and is pursuing. We're the firstborn. We take on the responsibility of legacy. Building a legacy is not easy. There are a lot of generational curses and things that have to be overcome by someone. Let it be you. I didn't ask for that responsibility. God sees something in you for this. God sees something in you for this. The responsibility of the Father's strength rests on us. And imagine with me, if you will, it's Christmas time. Imagine when you're a grandparent, or let's say you're even blessed enough to be a great grandparent. Kelly and I have one grandparent left, it's her grandma, and our kids know Mama and love her. They got a great grandparent. I grew up with great grandparents that were still alive. Kelly even knew my great grandparents. And it, it was, it's just an awesome thing. Just imagine you're a great grandparent and you're sitting in your home and everyone's buzzing around. You're in your recliner. There are little kids everywhere breaking your stuff. And you're in your recliner next to the fire and they're bringing you blankets because you're always cold. And you're seeing all these children run around, moms and dads and sister-in-laws and brother-in-laws and cousins and your children and their children. They're 
all in your home and imagine you sitting in that chair and you realize that all of these children know God, love God, know Jesus, love Jesus, love the church, and it's all because you did not shirk the responsibility of the firstborn. That that entire home is filled with generational blessing and legacy because of you. Just imagine that. Imagine your family having to find a bigger venue for your funeral. And they've got enough money to handle it because you took care of fiscal business because you're a legacy person. Imagine your great-grandchild praying the prayer at Christmas dinner. These things don't happen accidentally. Will you make mistakes? Absolutely. You might make one today. But as King David taught us, it's the heart that's returned to God. And as we were worshiping today, I got out my notebook and I wrote down in my notebook a broken, and and I just couldn't get this scripture out of my head. And maybe, I I didn't hear this first service, so maybe it's for someone in second service. A broken and a contrite heart you will not despise. For you do not delight in my sacrifice or performance, but you delight and take pleasure in a broken and a contrite heart. What does contrite mean? It means repentant. It means humble. It it's, this, it's this posture of I'm on my knees. It's, it's this posture of the weight of the firstborn. And you know what happens when, when you begin? Somebody needs to hear this. When the weight of the firstborn hits your shoulders, where does it drive you? It drives the firstborn to their knees. And a contrite heart is this mental picture. It's this spiritual posture of I have to be on my knees with my face before the Lord because there are great grandchildren at stake. That there's this responsibility. There's this, uh, there's this healthy burden of I must bow down. So I'm going to do what is what might be counterintuitive to my pleasure so that my grandchildren and great-grandchildren and yes, even our children will know and serve the Lord. This is the only posture legacy can take. That weight is not to harm you, it's to break you. A broken heart is the only thing God will accept So husbands and wives, if you're acting selfishly, ask God to break you. Ask God to burden you for your children and your grandchildren. Ask God to open up your heart to receive a legacy mindset. Because when we don't live a legacy life, we're the ones that get offended. We're the ones that get bitter. We're the ones that withhold forgiveness. We're we're the ones that say they're all against me and this is what I need. And our prayers become selfish. But I'm asking you today to approach God with, God, just heal me and break me. Those are the people that change generations. It's that selfless legacy mindset that's built from a foundation of our identity 
of the firstborn, rooted in biblical truth as we just read. And when we do that, thinking three isn't difficult, it's fun. Thinking three isn't difficult, it's a joy. It's what you wanna do. You're excited about it. And it determines all of your decisions now. So when another pastor is doing your funeral, your kids aren't sitting there going, well, they had a nice pair of his and her jet skis, which I think you should have because jet skis are bomb. But they're able to say, we can't narrow it down. They've affected our life in so many ways. I've had families ask me to do altar calls at their funerals. I wonder if we could be the light of the world in this moment and let legacy not just be what we do, it's who we are. We are, so be it, legacy people. We are amen people because we are the church. So let's let God move through us and through our giving today in this legacy offering. Go ahead and stand to your feet today. We're going to give to the Lord in a very powerful way through our obedience. Don't forget your envelope. The buckets are right up here up front for your offering. There are also pins up here. Um, you were given pins when you walked in. If you, if you didn't get one, there's some up here where they'll get you one. And then there are communion cups as well. Here's what we want you to do. The band's gonna start to sing and when they do, that's your cue. You bring your offering to the altar. You bring your offering to the altar and you lay it down before the Lord. Elena already gave online. This is symbolic. You're bringing your offering to the Lord. Like in the Old Testament when they had to bring a bull or a spotless lamb, they didn't give the lamb online. Bring it to the Lord and lay it on the altar. If you gave online, great. Write it on the envelope, bring it to the altar. There's something that shifts in your mind. When you take steps towards the Lord, He takes steps toward you. Bring it to the altar. The prayer team will also be down here. If you want to bring your gift, we have people do this first service, bring their gift and pray with somebody and then give it or give your gift, grab communion, pray with somebody, get to your seat. You decide. But either way, grab communion, go back to your seat and then remember the sacrifice of the Lord because legacy families are built on the blood of Jesus. And just remember that he was broken completely for you. Not halfway, completely broken. And then when you're remembering the brokenness of the Lord, ask God to break you. Ask God to break your heart. Some of us have gotten hard. Some of us have gotten calloused. Ask God to break your heart. Living life angry and calloused and broken, like broken in our anger, there's no way to live life. But a contrite heart, a repentant heart, broken spirit before the Lord is what he's after. So as I begin to pray, the prayer team is going to go ahead and come on down. Hold your gift in your hand and then hold your hands out. Father, we pray right now that in this moment, something very deeply spiritual is going to happen 
in Jesus' name. Something very powerful and spiritual is about to happen in this room. God, that our last names are not going to be synonymous with alcoholism, depression, sin, addictions. Our last names will be synonymous with spirituality, determination, diligence, Holy Spirit. Our last names will count for a legacy. A legacy of courage and spirituality and brokenness before the Lord. Today, we lay down our unbroken hearts at the altar and we ask God to break our hearts. We ask God to show us the things in our life that, that are not creating a legacy that brings people to Jesus. And we say, God, whatever you want, so be it. So God, as we give our offering today, may we, we give it with joy and we even give it with expectation that everything in our family will begin to move towards legacy living in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church Podcast. If God used this message to impact your life, tell us your story by emailing thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.